Umit 8 on SAFM. It's eight minutes past eight. Now, it's not uncommon in South Africa to hear people speak of a third force, a term that apparently became part of the national imagination in South Africa after it was used to describe the apartheid security agents believed to offer covert military support to Inkata in its war on, with the ANC. But in the last years of apartheid, uh, some people also spoke about a third force which threatened to in the entire trade union movement and the survival of South Africa as a democratic nation. Others go as far as claiming that there exists some movement which is sabotaging the economy and putting hundreds of thousands of workers into unemployment by demanding an unaffordable minimum wage a month in order to foment a revolution. We hear others' thoughts and utterances also that workers organizing their own strikes being covertly manipulated and their strikes and protests orchestrated by dark forces, other elements that amount to the manifestation of the infamous third force. Also in the mix we have intelligence reports of unknown origin that keep resurfacing released by a person or persons aimed at discrediting one another. Just the other day, Zolinsi Mavavi addressed the media briefing in Bramfontein where he likened his suspension as General Secretary of Kosatu to the pre Polokwane Brownsville report which aimed at smearing President Jacob Zuma adding that it had the hallmarks of being the work of rogue elements in the intelligence community or a third force. What is this phenomenon of a third force? Does it exist? This is the question we ask. Very good morning to our guests. That is Richard Pittas, columnist and lecturer of politics at Rhodes University, Ibrahim Fakir, manager of governance institutions and processes at the Electoral Institute for Sustainability of Democracy in Africa. That's Asa and Gareth Newham, head of crime and justice program at the Institute for Security Studies. A very good morning to you all, gentlemen. Good morning. Perhaps I should start with you, Ibrahim Fakir, just given some of uh, the ongoings or incidents that I've mentioned to support this notion of a third force. I remember an interview with the Deputy Minister, or then Deputy Minister of Justice uh, at the time, just speaking about the xenophobia attacks that we've seen, the resurgence thereof, and he said um, there is no such thing as... uh, xenophobic attacks not long after that somebody said that actually there's a third force involved in those xenophobia attacks is it still relevant to speak of a third force given where the idea comes from so peace of good morning to you and your listeners and my fellow panelists um, look I mean I think it's an incredibly difficult uh, notion to simply dismiss uh, simply because there are always going to be residual elements on a transition, during a transition, uh, and these residual elements remain in society. Uh, they may start working for, for 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 other handlers, so to speak, in the or the in or in the intelligence uh, speak. Uh, it's, it's terminology they use in that community. But at the same time, one wants to really be cautious about how one attributes certain activities which happen in society. To a third force, and I suspect what has happened is that of late it's become a convenient scapegoat, it's become a convenient excuse uh, whenever we aren't taking responsibility or accountability for certain weaknesses in governance, uh, certain weaknesses in our political system, our inability to actually uh, be as inclusive, as representative um, as possible, but also to the extent that we don't like certain voices, we simply consign them to a third force. Uh, and 
unfortunately, the most pernicious use of this, this third force, the one you've pointed to, is, is, is to scapegoat the third force for what was called a xenophobic, but in my view, negrophobic attacks, actually. But there's also been an attribution of whatever happens when there's protests in communities, whether it's about related to the accountability of a local councillor, dissatisfaction with the, with, with the local mayor or, or public officials at local government level. We simply wish to attribute this away to the third force so that one doesn't have to take responsibility for some of the weaknesses and the deep, deep, deep problems in, 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 in some of the political parties. But uh, is there any information credible enough that exists to say, well, uh, when we talk about a third force, this is what we're talking about? Are there things that are so inexplicable in our society that they really can warrant these claims of a third force? I'm not, I'm, I mean, personally, I'm not convinced that over the last decade we can talk with any degree of credibility uh, that many of the problems that we've seen happening, particularly in local communities, are simply attributable to the third force. Where there may be some credibility is where there have been machinations going on within the senior levels of political parties. So if you talk about the Browse Mole report, if you talk about this report which was circulated by Zerenzim of about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, obviously, those things have such deep weaknesses. There's such huge problems in, in the facts, in the way in which the facts are strung together and in the way in which those facts are interpreted that one can only think that this is the work of someone who wants to depose someone from political power. But here's the nub for this. Uh, for me, is that that could happen not from someone who's in the third force, but someone who's simply and merely wishing to fight a political battle and pretending that they're putting out this information and this information has some credibility because it comes from inte- some intelligent sources. Well, if that's, in- if that's the case, I'm afraid it's not very intelligent. Peter, uh, uh, let me come to you then, Richard Patel. You have written articles about it, and an extract of which I read in the introduction. You were speaking about how the National Union of Mine Workers has informed you and others of workers organizing their own strikes and being covertly manipulated by dark forces or elements that are tantamount to being called a third force. What, is, what are your thoughts thoughts on that subject, is there the existence of such forces are they an organized group are, are the allegations themselves credible? No, they're not credible in the slightest I mean, you know, the, the idea that um, the violence against foreign Africans in May 2008 um, independent organization by workers um, through their own strike committees on the platinum belt more recently formation of uh, independent social movements like Abeslali, Batumjandolo and Durban, um, popular protests. The idea that all of this is a manifestation of some kind of sinister covert force is, is just a paranoid fantasy. And I think we have to take very seriously the fact that during the whole apartheid period and the whole colonial period, whenever black people organized themselves against uh, colonialism and apartheid, it was always said that there was some other conspiracy behind them, that they couldn't organize themselves. And there's a continuance of this, this, this set of ideas into the new order. And it's premised on a number of things, but one of them is a complete inability to recognize the political agency of people who are poor and black, which is, you know, entirely, uh, entirely denigrates 
their, their equal humanity and their equal capacity for citizenship. But it's also profoundly anti-democratic because whenever people say something or do something, what they do or say is not taken at face value. It's read as part of some conspiracy. And, you know, it's a very serious thing. People have been killed because of this. People have been driven from their homes because of this. People have been tortured because of this. Organizations have been repressed because of this. It's, uh, it's not simply a kind of mistake. It's a profoundly anti-democratic, uh, ideological maneuver that we need to oppose very clearly and directly. Gareth Newham, the original, or should I say, and perhaps you could correct me, the origins of the term coming out as a result of allegations that uh, the Deputy Police Commissioner, then Lieutenant General Batsi Smith, the Head of Counterintelligence General Krapis Engelbrecht and the Commander of the Central Investigation Department Lieutenant General Johan Leroux had masterminded what they called a third force with the aim of making the country ungovernable ahead of uh, the elections in 1994 but uh, before then there were uh, killings in 1983 for instance that uh, you, you, you saw what they you call the UDF invading KwaZulu-Natal, which was this, considered the IFP stronghold, and uh, you started having this violence which escalated dramatically, and, and there were killings. Is it because of the intangible nature, if that is the correct term, of the work of intelligence operatives and, and the secrecy surrounding it? Well, I think that's exactly what our problem today is. Uh, you've pointed to examples in the past um, where there certainly were and forces within the state that were trying to derail the move towards democracy, uh, very powerful forces within security structures that obviously had nothing to gain by, by ending apartheid. And so they were involved in various proxy warfares against those that were fighting against apartheid, such as the ANC and others, and as we moved into the early 1990s, you had a lot of political killings and a lot of what was termed black-on-black violence. That is when you started getting this notion of third force, that there were sort of unknown shadowy figures out there that were behind the violence because they were training and, and, and using proxies in order to try and destabilize those that were seen as fighting apartheid. But that was that in the past. And I think what you touched on, which is critically important now as we move into the future, is the issue of our intelligence agencies. If our intelligence agencies were working properly, if they were credible, transparent, and accountable as much as they should be, according to the recommendations of, for instance, the Matthews report uh, that came out about 2007-2008, then we wouldn't be having a problem about trying to identify third forces or shadowy people in reports, because seemingly most of these reports come from people who are linked to the intelligence agencies or if not the intelligence agencies themselves. Um, so when we had Project Avani and the whole uh, mess around that, when Sakim mm. was being spied on and Billy Maceto was fired, there was a real need and move then to change and open up, uh, looking at the, our intelligence services and saying, are these intelligence services in South Africa doing democracy appropriate for what we need? And it was found that they were not. And very clear recommendations were made to improve their, their um, oversight, to make sure that they weren't being abused, because there's a lot of abuse going on. Unfortunately, the Matthews report was largely ignored. And so the problems then have continued, and that's why we keep on having problems such as the Brasmore report, which came from within the state, and probably this latest report that, uh, that Barbie circulated that has been circulated amongst uh, officials of the alliance, 
also comes from people probably in either in or linked to the intelligence agency. So rather than being a structure that can say, look, we've looked into this, this is nonsense, this is exactly what's going on, they're the ones actually causing the problem. Um, and until we have this kind of review and the, 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 the full-on reform of our intelligence agencies, uh, in accordance to the findings of Matthew's report, I can't see that we're going to ever get to the end of a situation where we continue to have so-called third forces, um, which are largely just a result of, or primarily a result of internal political battles within the ruling alliance, on one hand, and as has been mentioned before, when ordinary people rise up and express their frustration in the streets of South Africa, suddenly it's a third force in a, in a way to try and denigrate or to take away their democratic right to, to freedom of expression. Um, but if we had properly functioning, credible intelligence agencies, we would be able to know whether they were actually forces or not doing this because they would be the ones telling us. But unfortunately, they're the ones usually seemingly implicated in such forces. We're taking a call on 0891 looking at the phenomena of a third force asking if it does exist, as we mentioned, various instances when it's been used as excuse, reason for some of the occurrences that we've seen. What are your thoughts? 34701, that's the SMS hotline, at 2 rand per SMS. A quick break, and we'll continue with our conversation. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights, and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. When Polana received an award for his remarkable work as an eye specialist, Tears came to my eyes as I knew the next day his capable hands would be at work to restore my blood vision because the government employees medical scheme had approved my cataract operation. That's how GEMS made a difference in my life. Let GEMS make a difference to you. Contact us by dialing star 120 star 4367 hash on your cell phone. T's and C's and cell phone rates apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 0891-104-208. We're in conversation with Sir Richard Pitthouse. He's a columnist and lecturer of politics at Rose University. Ibrahim Fakir, manager of governance institutions and processes at ASA. Gareth Newham, head of crime and justice program at the ISS. Just coming back to you, Ibrahim Fakir, on the issue of uh, the intelligence agencies. And uh, Mr. Newham mentioned the, the issue of uh, lack of transparency, for instance, and if in our policy-making processes we're having such difficulties, if we talk about the secrecy bill, for instance, and the fact that you have a system of surveillance in South Africa that is largely seen as unregulated and free of oversight, should we still be bringing into the fore bills or, or, or policies that are going to lead to a further crisis in this regard? Ibrahim Fakir, are you still with us? Okay, I'm not sure where he is. Perhaps uh, uh, then to bring that question to you, Richard Patas, your, your thoughts on that. I mean, you've also said that uh, the ANC, for instance, has operated amidst genuine intrigue, but is there a need, for instance, for talk about these alien tendencies to continue? Look, I mean, there's no question that um, after the ANC was banned and when they were underground and in exile, 
um, there was all kinds of intrigue and conspiracy and machinations organized against them. There were spies. And there's no question that, you know, there was a very real basis for the paranoia that developed in the organization in exile to the point that, you know, it started turning on its own leading members and even people like Palo Jordan and Chris Harney came under suspicion at different times. Now, I mean, our president was um, part of the intelligence apparatus, the security apparatus of the ANC in exile. And, you know, I think ways of engaging that are learnt under those circumstances which are not at all appropriate to democratic modes of engagement are difficult to put aside and clearly there are people in the ANC who both have had the experience of, of genuine persecution and dealing with genuine conspiracy and there are people in the ANC now who've had the experience of engaging uh, in politics in a way that isn't about open democratic debates, mobilization it's about conspiracy, and it's not surprising that these attitudes, paranoia, and the tendency to try and resolve things through the use of intelligence rather than through through democratic means of, of debate and organization, mm. have carried through into the new era. But we do need to understand it. We do need to historicize it. It doesn't come from nowhere. I mean, as you've already mentioned, there was a very real um, set of of covert machinations in the Civil War and what was Natal in the late 1980s and early 1990s. But that doesn't mean we can allow ordinary expressions of dissent, uh, people getting together, having public meetings, taking decisions, and then engaging in protest, um, and then being presented as if they were mindless tools of some foreign conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we go down that route, um, we are not we're not able to engage democratically and we turn our own people and their own expressions of um, their political understanding of the society they live in as if it was something sinister and foreign and something outside of the democratic sphere and something that can legitimately be crushed. Gareth, you, I suppose then to just go back to that question about regulation or oversight of uh, the Secret Service or agencies, is it now taking on a, a different historical context and meaning the issue of a third force, for instance? I mean, it's not uncommon to hear of somebody being accused of being a CIA agent or a spy. And just going back to the the issue of uh, political assassinations, whether in character or not, that Richard Pittas is referring to as well. Yes, well, I think that's what I was uh, trying to highlight earlier, is that our intelligence agencies should be there to ensure that we are protected from external threats um, and that anybody trying to destabilize the country who has a real interest in trying to undermine our democracy can be identified. Um, and unfortunately, that's just not really happening. Um, if you think about it in terms of uh, organized crime, for instance, which is a huge problem in South Africa, you have very well people who are very well known to have been involved in crime. In fact, some of the criminal records in other countries. Uh, Radovan Kretscher comes to mind. You've had Patatsolo. You've got Agiotti, who we know was involved in large-scale drug smuggling, walking around freely, writing books. What is the crime intelligence unit doing? They don't seem to be getting a handle on top of organized crime. However, we do know that the intelligence services are spying on journalists, on political leaders, um, people in the NGO sector, 
Um, and it's not because those people are necessarily a threat to society at all. It's simply that they are speaking out against powerful interests within the state. And so if you're very connected, you can fly a, a jumbo jet full of wedding guests into a national key point for interest, and the national intelligence agencies don't seem to know about it or able to raise the warning amongst executive cabinet members that should know about something like that. Um, but if you're a journalist that happens to be writing a nasty story about the corruption mm. involving the top issues of the Southern Police Service, you will have a lot of attention on you. So this goes back to regulation. That's what I was saying. There's been a huge review, a very thorough review of the intelligence system in South Africa. And it took place in 2007 under Joe Matthews and Fennigin and Wiley and a few other people involved in that. And they came up with a whole range of problems that they identified, saying that the current the intelligence agencies are not aligned with the constitutional requirements that they are too quickly to be politicized, involved in factual battles. There's not a clear level of accountability for when they misuse their powers and authority. And that needs to change. And unfortunately, that hasn't changed. Mm. And had that changed, we would certainly be able to say if there was a third force, they would be the ones telling us if there was or not. But we can't trust them because usually the third force accusations come from people who are within or close to the intelligence agencies. All right, let's take a, a caller. We've got Kai on the line from the Eastern Cape. You, you want to talk about possibilities of a third force. You say there are plenty. Good morning, Kaya. Kaya, are you with us? Okay, I'm not sure what's going on with the lines, but uh, we're going to take news headlines in just a moment. Let me also see if I've got Ibrahim Fakir back on the line. Uh, uh, Mr. Fakir, just, you know, Picking up on that, uh, what Mr. Newham is saying is that intelligence agencies are not aligned to the constitutional requirements of the country. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suspect if you look at the way in which they've been, op- they've been operating, the willy-nilly way in which they've accessed information, which they ordinarily not uh, would, would not uh, have access to and ought not to, uh, without going to the courts for, for applying for access to certain types of information, such as phone records, conversations, uh, messaging services, etc. And it appears to me as if, you know, we often like to criticize Western powers in the way in which they function and their intelligence agencies function. So if you think about Snowden, if you think about this fellow mm-hmm. in the U.S. who had kind of released records, uh, you know, we ape the worst aspects of the way in which their uh, intelligence operations function. So we're aping that, but at the same time, we wish to critique them. Uh, the second problem for me is, as Gareth has pointed out, I mean, there are serious problems in the way in which we conduct oversight over our intelligence agencies, but even worse, where we have civilian oversight over the police, and this is not even just going to crime intelligence stuff, where we have civilian oversight in, 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 uh, of the police and security forces, there our oversight mechanisms have broken down and they've appropriated a greater amount of power. The third aspect is that internal oversight and supervision. So superiors are not looking at the way in which the Operatives lower down are gathering information, checking the veracity and quality of that information, checking the interpretation and analysis of the way in which that, that information is packaged and, and brought together and the conclusions to which it's pointed. So you've got massive breakdowns, both from the conceptual at the, at the way in which this, this work is operationalized, the way in which it actually functions, and then right down to, to the actual nitty-gritties of internal oversight and supervision of the quality of work being done. So, you know, we're obviously leading to certain conclusions, but these conclusions are politically convenient. There's a happy convenience and happy coincidence between what a particular powerful interest in a political party or in the state would want and the way in which they can access and use this information to achieve a particular political end. Uh, And that's what I suspect is going on. 
Right, we'll take a quick break. Uh, just update your news headlines with Fabachini Chetting. Of course, we'll be taking more of your calls on 0891 104 208, 0891 104 208. Send us SMSs on 34701 at Rand per SMS, and we are available on email at aimlive at sabc.co.za, our Twitter handle at aimlive on SAFM. Aimlive at sabc.co.za, our email address. 8.30 news headlines now with Fabachini. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Thank you, Rob. We'll continue with our discussion on the forum in just a moment. But uh, to introduce you now to the host of uh, Morning Talk, the new host of Morning Talk, say a very good morning to Rowena Bird. Hello, Tabiso. How are you? Well, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So what are you looking at on your first show today? Uh, today, Tabisa, what we're looking at is the story behind the story. This as it relates to the withdrawn appointment of Major General Bethel Mondizuma as the uh, Gauteng Police Commissioner. Um, it's, it's not the, the merits and the demerits of that particular case that we, we put on the spotlight. But I think we're rather asking the question why employers don't seem to be sufficiently doing their homework, just in terms of background checks on the incumbent employees. So that's what we start off with. And then um, we'll talk about what the actual value of university degrees is. Uh, you know, you go to school for however many years, and uh, at the end of the course, you get awarded a certificate of sorts. And we're asking, is that certificate worth the paper it's printed on? We'll be talking about that a little later. And also take a look at uh, the issue of gangsterism in prisons. And today being Monday, Tabiso, we um, have our standard feature looking at psychological matters. And the season being supposedly spring, uh, which means new beginnings, we take a look at starting afresh after a, a, a breakup. And uh, just after the 11 o'clock news, we'll profile the new DG of intelligence. And of course, the regular features uh, still stand. We've got news on the hour and we've got headlines on the half hour. That's to be expected. Sounds like an exciting and interesting lineup. Uh, welcome and uh I hope you have a, a good first show, Rowena. Thank you. Bird Thank you. Thank you, Tabitha. The new host of uh, Morning Talk. Right. We continue with our forum this morning. We're looking at the phenomenon of a third force, asking if it exists, what are its characteristics, its qualities, if it does indeed exist, what are the conditions that give rise to such a phenomenon, 891 I'm going to take some uh, calls and then get back to my guests. We're in conversation with Richard Petas, who's a columnist and lecturer of politics at Rhodes University. Ibrahim Fakir is Manager of Governance Institutions and Processes at the Electoral Institute for the Sustainability of Democracy in Africa and Gareth Newham, Head of Crime and Justice Programme Institute for Security Studies. Mike in Newlands, good morning. Hi, Mike. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Fantastic. Good morning, good morning, panel. Um, uh, I uh, hung up my activist roots about 20 years ago when the ANC came into power, satisfied that we had the right party governing the country. And during the, the as an activist in the apartheid years, the spirit force thing was banded around all the time by the old national party. It was always used that I was the Communist Party or it was uh, the UDF or whatever it was to, to essentially cover up their corrupt activities because what they were doing was using and abusing, as we now know from history, the Secret Service, or in those days was known as Boston, amongst other things. 
And I'm beginning to worry a lot that we seem to be drifting back into that. And I want to ask your panel, you know, just how close are we to being back to the apartheid days? You know, in those days, my phone was tapped. Um, I was I was abused. People seem to know a lot more about me than I, I would have thought that a police force would. And, uh, you know, with the secrecy bill now lying on our president's desk, um, and if you look at the statements mentioned by Lou Emmett Landers, who incidentally was part of the old National Party government in those days, is now in the ANC, he was making statements in Parliament and calling the right to know campaign the right to lie campaign. And then we had Tweedy uh, saying that the ANC um, wasn't, you know, yes, anyway, I won't, but you get my drift and I'd like okay. to know, are we close to that? Because I believe we really are. Thank you. All right, thanks, Mike. Sigan Randberg? You uh, say we need to document instead. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Thank you very much. I wanted to say that we must uh, be cognizant of all sinister background forces. Uh, and yes, the CIA may be part of them. Maybe the Mail and Guardian does have a CIA in the background. I don't know, but I don't mind people uh, uh, insinuating that, except if they are the kind of survey. Iqbal surveys of Sekunyalu, uh, who use this as a false uh, uh, attack, as a, as a, a subversion of who the kind that... Sig, I'm very wary there now. You are, you're mentioning people's names. Can you just... What, what are you saying? And do you have evidence of this which you're suggesting? Well, well no, no, I'm saying that... that uh, I don't really mind. The, uh, we must investigate whether the CIA is anywhere here. And, and yes, if it is, if there are guys who are, pose, who are real CIA agents, sure, let's mm. get them. And, and just like we w- failed to get the, the people who shot up the, uh, the, the innocent passengers on Soweto trains, they massacred people on the Soweto trains uh, in, in the olden days. And, and in the same manner, we must, we must try and, and find out more about the people who, who killed, who killed the, the, okay. the, the, the Sangoma uh, to silence him and to prevent him from giving evidence at, okay. at the, at the Marikana Commission. Point taken. Thanks a lot. Kai in the Eastern Cape, I believe you're back on the line. Hi, how are you? Well, thanks. How are you? Good. I'm all right. Greetings to your guest as well. This is a two quick ones. One. First is that I would like your, your guest to comment on the first issue of a possibility of a dead force. Because I believe that there is a strong possibility for a dead force in any country. For instance, how would they explain the Boremach activities during the two years, uh, previous years? First thing. The second issue is that now recently we, we are looking at incidences of protest matches, so-called protest matches which are influenced basically by that force because I would say that force because how do you begin to explain when the people is having water that person will go and destroy a library and a hospital. Mm. Kai, uh, unfortunately we have, to, we have dealt with those issues. Perhaps you missed that. But perhaps we'll try and recap for you. 891 that's the SMS hotline, and uh, we'll read your SMSs in just a moment. But let me get back to my guests. Uh, Richard Pithouse, uh, Kai, obviously speaking to some of the issues that you alluded to or spoke about earlier on, but I, I'm, I'm really quite intrigued by what Sig was saying because... Uh, if we're going to talk about a third force and we're not documenting so-called proof of the existence thereof, does it not make it difficult for us to talk credibly about a third force but also create space for a so-called third force to exist if there is 
there's so much secrecy around some of these events, but there's no documented proof. I mean, the TRC, for instance, in its report also spoke of a third force. Seems like uh, Richard, are you on the line? Ibrahim, are you with us? I am in. Okay, and Gareth Newm, are you with us? Okay, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure, but <laughs> I believe I do have the other light. But perhaps to get you to respond to what uh, what Mike is saying, are we going back to the apartheid days? Sig saying that, yes, there may be various instances that may point to a third force, but we're not documenting evidence of these instances. Let me try to go through each of these three points. I mean, look, the reality is that so intelligence agencies everywhere. Okay, Brian, we seem to be having a problem with your line as well. I'm hoping that we're going to go back and fix that, call back all of our guests and make sure that at least we have something that is working. Eunice in Johannesburg, good morning. Uh, good morning, Sir How are you? Well, and you? Um, I could be better right now, but I'm sure we'll get there. Okay, <laughs> fine. Sipiso, on the VAVI report, an intelligence report, I want to pick up on one aspect and I want your guests to comment. You know, when the news first came out that there were Iranian intelligence out to kill VAVI, I was quite astounded, and I'll tell you why. Because, in my opinion, the Iranians are pro-Palestinian. VAVI is pro-Palestinian. He's addressed... He has addressed many pro-Palestinian rallies in the country. And I was wondering, why would the Iranian intelligence want to kill Vavi? And this had come from a mayor, senior crime intelligence officer. Now, given the fact that there was an expose that Israeli uh, Mossad agents were, you know, working with impunity at Owar Tambo, foreign intelligence agents are, uh, you know, in this country. So I'd like your guests to comment on that. And I was quite intrigued at that. And now, so what exactly are you asking about that, Eunice? Are you saying it sounds incredulous that there would be such and therefore it brings the question of issues around a third force? Yes, I'm okay. saying there is, there is a third force out there. And when this thing first came out, I was astounded that Bobby himself said that, you know, there were, uh, area, there were reports that uh, he had from senior, and it's now mm-hmm. evident that, you know, he's given the name of a senior crime intelligence officer who gave him that information. And I'd like to know, and now he says he doesn't believe it, and which I never believed in the first place, you know, given what okay. I said. You know, and I'd like to, in my opinion, you know, the foreign spooks are operating with impunity in this country, and I'd like your guests to comment on that. All right, we'll, we'll look at that, Eunice. Edwin in Cape Town. Edwin, are you with us? Okay, let me go back to my guests. I believe I've got two of them back on the line, Richard Pithouse and Gareth Newham, if you could just uh, confirm for me that you are indeed back on the line. Yes, I'm back on the line, Gareth speaking. Hi, great. Uh, Richard Pithouse, are you with me? Ibrahim Fakir, are you with me? As they say, we shall overcome, Mr. Newham. So we'll uh, just keep on at it, see if I can uh, address my technical problems. But uh, going back to some of the issues raised, as I mentioned, Sig was saying that there seems to be no proper documentation of these instances. Mike wanted to know if we're going back to the apartheid days. Ibrahim Fakir was trying to answer that. And uh, Yunus now is saying it seems that foreign operatives are operating on South African soil with impunity. Your thoughts on that? 
Well, there's no doubt that there are foreign spies in South Africa. I think there's not a country in the world that doesn't have some of intelligence activity from foreign agents. Because countries want to know what each other is up to, and there's a whole of global political dynamics happening. Uh, so that's not unusual, uh, and that is partly why we should have counterintelligence as a component of our intelligence agencies. And I think the issue is not you know, that, that we shouldn't have intelligence. It's important to have intelligence, but it's what that intelligence is able to do. And it's, a, it's not a simple issue to, to, to get our heads around. It's, it's quite complex, and different countries handle intelligence agencies in different ways. But really what we um, do need to start being able to do is trust our intelligence agencies that they're not part of these internal factional battles that we see happening within the political elite. And that's what I think our biggest problem has been, because that undermines the public credibility of these agencies. And so when they stop having the kind of public credibility that they need, because, for instance, abuses do they do become involved in these internal political battles. And that every time you see a battle, and I think Gavazi is just the most recent one, where suddenly uh, intelligence reports pops up, um, trying to slander him and saying that he's involved in the CIA and all that kind of thing. Um, we've seen the same thing not too long ago with Richard Mbili, who declassified a report saying that there was a meeting of anti leaders and escorts who were going to try and remove the president at Mangaung. And so every time we see these kind of sexual battles at the top of the, of the political leaps, you see intelligence reports popping up, and they usually come from within intelligence agencies or people who are linked to intelligence agencies because they have some level of truth and some level of, 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 of information that can only be gathered by intelligence operators. Mm. But that, that means that we can't always trust what our intelligence agencies are telling us. And then because of that, you start having this, uh, this these words third force come out and people talking about shadowy operators and... And the thing is that um, I don't think we have a third force. I just think that we really have a situation in which there are individuals within our intelligence structures who are abusing their powers. And because the various recommendations and how to strengthen the accountability of our intelligence structures to make them more accountable, to make them more in line with the Constitution, to ensure that they're properly managed, properly controlled, and they're not able to abuse their, their powers, that their credibility undermines, and therefore we can't trust them, and therefore we have these Ibrahim Fikir, uh, as you hear Gareth Newham says, he's not really sure if there is a third force. And I'm beginning to wonder because I can't get you and uh, Richard on the line at least to stay for at least five minutes. I'm hoping that it's going to hold up now. But let's, let's look at that. He, he talks about a political elite. And with regard to political formations and even the existence of NGOs with the Margana Commission there were murmurings of perhaps NGOs involved in trying to destabilize the country and the agenda that they're agitating for on the establishment of Ahang, I mean certainly questions were raised about where the funding came from and you know links to the US for instance but but in the work of intelligence agencies, these are the kind of things that they should be looking out for. So does it not, you know, create sort of fertile ground for the existence of some of these issues? So, Peter, I can assure you that the fact that we have an unstable phone line is not due to the third force. It's simply a practical issue that happens to be at the airport. Uh, and often, often when things like this happen, we try and attribute things to, to this so-called third force. Now, let's systematically take all of the issues that you're saying. No one disputes the fact 
that we need intelligence agencies. No one disputes the fact that there would be the presence of foreign intelligence agencies, as South Africa would have intelligence agents elsewhere. The problem is how do we constrain what they do and what's the oversight mechanisms and the legal provisions and the protections of rights that we have for citizens when these people operate in these countries and what's the oversight structures and what's the counterintelligence strategy. So that's the first set of points to make. The second, considering that what everyone is saying about the fact that there are these intelligence agencies, that they may be contributing to a third force, that they're NGOs and other people who want to destabilize the country. Well, the simple question would be, why would they want to destabilize the country and why, uh, what, what's the purpose of wanting to destabilize the country? Is it to create anarchy and mayhem? Well, I doubt it. Is it about regime change? Well, if there's regime change, surely citizens, ordinary citizens, have democratic processes through which they go through and if they so wish for regime change, well, that's what they want. Uh, you know, a political party like a Hang, for instance, or NGOs have the right to operate. This is the last time I checked the constitutional democracy in which these rights are created. Now, where these political parties or NGOs or other people are doing certain things which are outside the bounds of the law, of course we want our intelligence agencies, crime intelligence in particular, to tell us that this is what is going on so that we know as a society what's going on. It's part of their mandate, it's part of their oversight, part of their function, in fact, to let us know that these things are going on. But that they're going on and that they want to change in government or they want to contest power or they want to exercise a level of influence in society, well, that's not a third force, that's simply democracy. Hmm. I'm going to try and take calls. 0891 Richard Pithouse, is there historical context to third force or historical evidence of uh, rebellions, even revolutions being born of the so-called third force. I know uh, you talk at some point in your article about uh, the Indian rebellion, the Mau Mau rebellion in Kenya, but uh, have third forces or third force, uh, these dark forces been used to launch rebellions or revolutions in recent political history? Look, I think there's two things we have to be aware of here, and we have to separate them very carefully. One is, is that whenever people have got together and decided to challenge oppression, people in power have said that this is a conspiracy, but this is not really what it seems. So, for example, the Mau Mau Rebellion, the struggle for land and freedom in Kenya, it's absolutely just, it's absolutely legitimate, the struggle against colonialism. Of course, British colonialism said it was a conspiracy. Because when you say something's a conspiracy, you don't have to engage it. Mm. You don't have to take it seriously. You just delegitimate it. You exclude it from the sphere of democratic engagement. And then you can send in the men with guns. Now, it's also true, though, that there have been cases in recent political history where governments have been elected to power and they have issued a real challenge to U.S. interests. Now, examples of that could be um, Haiti under Jean-Bertrand Aristide, uh, or Venezuela under Hugo Chavez, and there is evidence in those cases of attempts from outside, from the U.S., from Canada, whatever, to get involved in those societies to try and remove democratically elected governments that are critical of the status quo supported by the U.S. and other countries. But we have to be very, very, very careful here because when we talk about this with regard to, say, Haiti or Venezuela, or, or Chile at another point in history, there's clear evidence. 
people have written books about this. Now, in South Africa, the ANC has never effectively or seriously challenged the interests of international capital or the U.S. In fact, they have been the best tool available for the, that system to manage the tremendous contradictions and difficulties of our society. They've got no interest in undermining the ANC. And, and then the other point is, I'm not aware of a single case when ordinary dissent, ordinary democratic engagement has been mislabeled as a third force or labeled as a third force, where the people making these claims have brought proper evidence to the table. And we all know that if you're organizing in South Africa, even if you're organizing not against the ANC and for simple things like access to toilets or decent housing, you're going to come, if you're effective, you're going to come under surveillance. Your phone calls will be monitored. There will be people in your organization who are um, giving information. In some cases, you may even have crime intelligence officials openly coming to your meetings, openly coming to your office. Then they are, are, are looking very closely at anyone who's organizing any dissent, real or imagined. If there was external machinations, they would have evidence. But they don't come with the evidence. All they come is with unsubstantiated allegations. And I think we need to say to people making these allegations, bring your evidence. Mm. Because without evidence, all it is is slander that delegitimates what people are doing and legitimates oppression. And it's very, very dangerous. It's deeply anti-democratic. I'm going to take one last call on 891 Ibrahim Fikir, just to come back to you, I think you were in the midst of answering that question that Mike was asking. Are we going back to the apartheid days? And he was referring just with regards to some of the bills that we're proposing, trying to enact into law. He spoke about the secrecy bill. What would you say to that question? Look, I mean, I'm always suspicious of these these comparisons that, uh, you know, we're moving back to apartheid, but I think there are uh, and there is cause for concern. That doesn't mean we're going back to apartheid oppression and systematic exclusion uh, and, and hopefully not precipitating levels of internal conflict. But I would worry where you have something like the traditional courts bill, where even though the Constitution makes provision for uh, traditional leaders, for them to exercise a degree of authority, what this bill does and its provision is not about the exercise of authority, it's about appropriating citizens and ordinary people's power and rights. Uh, so it has provisions all the way down to saying that whatever the uh, traditional leader finally rules, you have no recourse to appeal in ordinary court of law. Now that's taking away a citizen's agency uh, completely, and it's going to affect roughly about 48% of our population. That's a very large proportion. The second is the protection of state information bill. Now, of course, we all accept that, uh, you know, there's certain information which states do need to protect, but at the same time, there are sufficient and ought to be sufficient safeguards in the law for how that information is protected, but at the same time maximizes a citizen's informa- uh, uh, right to access information. And what this bill and this act is in fact going to do is limit the kind of information that citizens can access, firstly, but secondly, also the kind of things that the media and society in general can start talking about. So certain things like, like the Gupta's landing at the waterproof Air Force Base or aspects of the arms deal, those things, if this bill were in force at the time, we simply would not be able to talk about them. Mm. Now, is this apartheid? I'm not convinced that it is, but is, am I deeply, and should we be deeply worried? Yes, of course. Gareth Newham, your final word on this? 
Well, I think that we haven't uh, enough uh, experience in South Africa about what the challenges of intelligence can be and how that can help us deal with notions of third force. I think we have in a mature enough of the democracy after almost 20 years that we realize there's no real threat to the state and that if people want to change things, they can go through normal political processes. What we really need now is to review what's happening with the, the, the intelligence agencies because until we have a, a credible intelligence system in which people are properly controlled, properly appointed, properly held accountable, and that the rights of individuals in living in South Africa are balanced with the need for intelligence activities that are acceptable within the democratic state, we're going to have these continual problems with third, uh, allegations of third forces, and we're going to have a, a continued leaks of reports when internal battles happen from the ruling elite. So yes. I think that's where we need to start focusing. We need to get the, the Matters Commission report recommendations uh, that need to be implemented, um, and people should really be starting to call for that kind of thing. Thank you very much to all of you for your time, your patience as well, Richard Patars. Ibrahim Fikir, Gareth Newham, thanks to the team that put it all together, Lungile Mabaso, Nzaki Ku, Michaud Shandlale, Gwenzegili and Tlacha, technical producer Mark Preda, forum producers Ronald Piri, Jake Mukoma, our executive producers Busi Chani and Obri Sitchi. And thanks to you for SMSing your calls, etc. It's 9 o'clock.